Welcome to the intersection of faith and culture. It's the Wall Builder Show, where we're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Yesterday, we had a presentation from Tim Barton at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. Today, we're going to get the conclusion of that presentation. So without any further ado, let's jump right back in. Here's Tim Barton speaking at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. When you deal with something, how can I think through this? How can I, how can I problem solve around this? It's not something we do a lot anymore, but it's also worth noting that if we think about education, the Bible gives us some guidance in Proverbs 22, 6. It says that we should train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they won't depart from it. But if you think about the word train, there's more than one way to train. So what kind of training method are we talking about, right? What is the pedagogy of training we are using? And I think it's interesting. If you go back and look up this word, and even there's different study Bibles that I really appreciate for the value they add to giving thoughts and commentary. But in 22.6, you see there's, there's 13 over there on the side. And if you look at what it is on the side, it says, or catechize. And I know it's not very small, but if you're close, you can see it catechize a child in the way they should go. So if you read this, instead of saying train up a child in the way they should go, if we said, well, well, maybe that word in Hebrew is closer to the word catechize, catechize a child in the way they should go when they're old and want to depart from it. Catechize is a specific teaching method. In fact, it was the specific teaching method that we embraced in America. Everything you see in early American education, a catechism of ancient history, a catechism of agricultural chemistry, a catechism of American law, a catechism of entomology, a catechism of astronomy, a elementary catechism on the Constitution of the United States. Everything we did was a catechism. What's a catechism? A catechism is teaching someone how to question and think through the issue. And what you do is you teach students to ask questions such as who and what and when and where and why and how. Now, I know that seems really simple, but let me unfold this a little bit more. If we talked about the Sermon on the Mount and and we were to ask, okay, Sermon on the Mount, First of all, who said the Sermon on the Mount? Well, Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, what did he say? Well, there's a lot between Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? Well, when did he say it? Well, was this point in his ministry? Where did he say it? He was on a hill outside of Galilee. Why did he say it? How did he say it? If you can fully answer the questions in the catechism, you have a much deeper grasp and comprehension of the information and content. What we used to do was not based on regurgitating facts, but teaching people how to think through what the topic and the issue and the subject was, right? Very different than what we do today, but catechism was the method we used. And notice catechism was a method regardless of what you were doing. It was the method of education we use. And and this is where it's very clear, early education, we taught thinking skills. But here's the third thing I would point out is that we absolutely believed in instilling high expectations. And and, and if you talk to any teacher today, any teacher today is gonna say, we still have high expectations. We believe the best for our students. Well, it's true, they do but high expectations compared to who or what, right? And I mean this very sincerely because they're like, no, 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 our students, we're we're the the best and the smartest. Again, compared to who and what? Because I'm pretty sure I can show you some sixth grade homework from back in 1780 that none of your high school seniors can do, right? So so compared to what are we saying this? And let me just walk you through this. One of our good friends, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, he, he made an interesting point one time. He said, you know, when when God first spoke to man, God could have spoken in any language he wanted to, but God spoke to man in Hebrew. And if you look at Hebrew, every single thing in Hebrew, there is value, there is meaning, there's not a single insignificant thing in Hebrew. He said, what's also interesting is in Hebrew, it's not just, it's not just what Hebrew means, but but also in Hebrew, there are certain things that can't be said in Hebrew. Like there are certain words that don't exist in the Hebrew language. Well, what words don't exist in the Hebrew language? He said, well, 
For example, the word coincidence does not exist in the Hebrew language. Well, that's super interesting. Right. Think about it biblically. God didn't look at Adam in the garden and see even be like, what a coincidence you two met each other. This is amazing. I'm so happy for y'all. No. There's not coincidence in God's kingdom. There's divine providence in God's kingdom, right? There's a reason. You can't say coincidence in Hebrew. You can't say the word retirement in Hebrew. Uh, hang on a second. Already getting some prickled people out there. What we fundamentally should believe as Christians from Scripture, God made everything on purpose and for a reason. And as long as you are here on this earth, God has a purpose for you. The modern concept of retirement, people say, you know what? I'm going to kick up my heels and do nothing ever again. Unproductivity is not part of God's kingdom. As long as God has you here, God wants to use you to make a difference. Now, you might talk about maybe you've gotten to a place that you can change your occupation and your ministry field, right? Maybe you want to be a missionary on the golf course last 20 years of your life. Good for you. Go get them, right? It's not about changing your occupation or what your financial status is. It's about understanding God has called us to be productive individuals as long as we're here on this earth, right? This is the notion of retirement. Well, let's go further. The idea of fair, not in the Bible. Now, a lot of us remember our parents telling us we don't care about fair, right? But let me just point out, is it fair what happened to Job? Right? Is it fair what happened to Uriah the Hittite who only loved his wife? And the king has an affair with his wife and then murders it? Like, hmm, right? But let me point out, let me go back to Job. Easy example. One of the lessons you can learn from Job is God is much more interested in how you respond in the situation than just what happens in the situation. Because God tells Satan, consider my servant Job, right? You do all this, it don't matter. Look at him, see, see how he responds. God's economy, God, now, now God is a God of justice right? Justice will prevail, but sometimes justice prevails in judgment. We don't always see justice the way we think it should be done in our lifetime because God's time is not our time. God's thoughts aren't our thoughts, his ways aren't our ways. It's different. In Hebrew, there's no word fair. Well, there's also no word adolescence in Hebrew because in the Bible, easy example is 1 Corinthians 13. The apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I thought, I read, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. In the Hebrew culture, to this day, the bar mitzvah, the bar mitzvah, right? 13 years old, 14 years old, it all changes. You become recognized as an adult in God's economy, right? This notion of, ah, it's just kids being kids. Understand, the modern perception of adolescence, we have so dumbed down and lessened our expectations for what kids are capable of, right? If you study scripture, when David killed Goliath, scholars think he was 14 to 17 years old. He was the leader of a nation's military challenging the biggest, the biggest warrior the other side had. And when King Saul's like, I'm not sure you're big enough to handle this, what does David tell him? He says, this is no problem. He says, I, I watched my father's sheep by himself. He says, and there's lions and bears. Some of they'll come and pick up one of the lambs. I will chase them down and kill them. I'm just going to tell you. Some 11 and 12 year old comes back telling their mom a story about how they chased down a lion and bear and killed it. Mom's like, you're never going to the field again, right? Like that's what's gonna happen. This is where if you study scripture, how often did God use kids? What our, our thought of kids, not, not what God thought of them. How old 
was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Scholars think 13 to 16 years old. That would be an adolescent in our day, right? Again, like this, this is an important thought. We have so lessened and cheapened and dumbed down what kids are capable of. And it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach this age of adolescence, which if we even think in our lifetime, we've seen it change multiple times because it used to be you were an adult when you're 18. Then you were an adult when you're 21, right? Well, now you can stay on your parents' insurance, right? So you're in your mid and late 20s. But according to the federal government, they say the age of adolescence now goes into the 30s. Because it takes young people until they're in their 30s to move out of the house, to get a job, and to have a steady relationship. The problem is we have taken behavior and allowed behavior to define the standard when it used to be. We're like, kid, you're 11, grow up. Right? Now today we're like, that's so insensitive. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying. Culturally insensitive, but maybe not biblically incorrect. Right? Because again, if you study Hebrew, th this word is not there. And, and again, the reason I want to point this out is as we look at education, we are changing over and over and over. When you are looking at what's happening in like Oregon and Washington, and they're like, we will no longer grade math. We will no longer grade English because it's racist. Genuinely, like this is really happening. We are changing everything. Like how dumb do we think kids are? When we have a faulty biblical perspective, we reach a lot of bad conclusions. This is what we are seeing in society. Now, here's where I, I, I want to give you a little historic illustration. I'm going to wrap and, and show some modern culture thought. If you go back to elementary spelling, this is Webster's blueback speller. This is where spelling became standardized in America, okay? This is where it all happened. And then I'm talking about millions upon millions upon millions of these were sold. When Webster's blueback speller, and let me also point out that this was an elementary speller. In this elementary speller, elementary, right? So eight nine, right? 10 years old. I don't know. Elementary speller. There are words in this speller that I definitely probably would misspell. I'm not sure I can pronounce them. And if you ask me to define them, I would struggle defining some of these. I can tell you actually out of principle, I went and got Webster's 1828 dictionary and I looked up every one of those words. So at one point I had found the definition for every one of those words. This was the standard speller that was used in every public school in America for 150 years. Elementary speller. Okay, elementary. College kids today couldn't spell, couldn't define, couldn't use those words in a sentence for the most part. If you look at geography, this is a geography quiz from Chicago. This is 1862. And, and again, I've just brought out a couple examples, but in this, notice some of the questions we asked fourth graders. How many degrees of longitude are there? How many degrees wide are the temperate zones? Name the principal animals of frigid zones. What portion of the people in the globe are pagans and what portion are Christians? Now, beyond what that percentage was, it's also interesting that we were addressing the fact that there are Christians and non-Christians in the world. And why does that matter? Because as Christians, we've been called to reach the lost. You need to know there's those people out there, but this is fourth grade. If you look, this is some of my favorite examples because I really enjoy math uh, on some levels, but early arithmetic, which we also have uh, the arithmetic books up here on this table, but in early arithmetic, these are examples. Now, again, this is 10, 11 year olds that are doing this. I insured two thirds of a shop worth $3,600 and four fifths of a house worth $6,000, paying $126. What was the rate of insurance? I was a business major in college and we did this kind of stuff in business math. I did not do that when I was in sixth grade. In early America, we did. Let me give you another example. And this one, how many $50 shares at 8% discount must be given for 23 bonds, $100 each at 2% premium? 
that was standard sixth grade, seventh grade, right? I mean, these are young kids. Let me go further because on those, you actually could use a, a, a pencil and paper, right? You, you could use your little kind of chalk tablet. You could write those down. They had what was called mental math. Mental math today has largely been banned because people are like, no, we want you to show your work. Well, it used to be we cared more about how you could use your brain than show your work, right? But mental math, 1877, these were problems you were given you had to solve in your head. Notice some of these questions. They explained a boat worth $864, of which one-eighth belonged to A, one-fourth to B, and the rest of C was lost. What loss did E sustain in having been insured for $500? Now, there's a couple of you in this room that might can do it, but I'm going to point out this was for sixth and seventh graders. This is mental math, right? This is not for the smart kids. This was for all kids. Let's go give you one more example. If six men can do a piece of work in five days, in what time can they do it if they receive the assistance of three additional men when the work is half completed? Again, this is standard education. Why does this matter? Because when we talk about instilling high expectations, you need to understand what we were accomplishing with eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, because school back then only at eight levels, you generally finished between 11 and 13 years old. And then at that time when you finished, you either went and found an apprenticeship, you found a job, or you went to university. Hi folks, gotta interrupt you for one quick break today. Stay with us, you're listening to The Wall Bowler Show. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity, if you're interested in having a wall builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to The Wobbler Show. We are right now in the middle of a presentation from Tim Barton speaking at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. We'll jump right back in with Tim. Most kids that went to university was between 13 and 16 years old is when they started university. This was early expectations. And, and so as we look back today and teachers are like, oh, I have high expectations. Again, compared to what? I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying we used to have different standards than we do today. And a lot of where this changed, I'm going to walk through this real quick as we wrap this up. A change occurred in, in all these regions, but when you look at religion, morality, and knowledge, if you go back to the 1960s, uh, you have 62 and 63 where the U.S. Supreme Court had a couple of significant decisions. Engel versus Vitalis, where the Supreme Court said that we would no longer have prayer in schools. Uh, the following year, there's dual decision, advocateship, and Murray Curlett, where the Supreme Court said that we would no longer have the Bible in schools. And actually, this decision is crazy. It's worth reading. I've read this decision more than once, just reviewing how dumb what they said was. But when the Supreme Court said the Bible could no longer be used in schools, one of the things they had done is they brought in a psychologist to testify as an expert witness against the dangers of the Bible being read in schools. When they delivered their decision, they quoted the psychologist's argument as one of the reasons that they thought the Bible should never be used in public schools. Here's what they said. If portions of the New Testament were read without explanation, they could be and had been psychologically harmful to the child. What does that mean? 
if kids were to read the Bible by themselves, it might cause brain damage. Psychological harmful. Now, for anybody familiar with the Bible, that's kind of a crazy statement, but let me show you how it's even crazier than surface. They said if portions of the New Testament were read, had they said Old Testament, I'd have been like, you got a point, right? Because there's some moments in the Old Testament you're like, yeah, kids probably, it's, it's not really age appropriate, right? When you're like, Lot and his daughters, nope, don't read that one. David gets his first wife. What did he do to 200 men? No, don't, don't read that. Kids, that's not appropriate, right? Like there's some Old Testament moments. They said the New Testament. What is the most graphic thing that happens in the New Testament? I would argue it's crucifixion of the Savior of the world, right? What they pointed out was even crazier because that's what I thought going into this. What they pointed out is, no, no, no. They said, if kids were to read Revelation, and, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's fair. Like dragons and seals and broken and trumpets. And like, I get it. No, no, no. They said, if kids were to read Revelation, they might be terrified of hell. Good. <laughs> right? Like, that's crazy. And then they went further and said, the, the fear of hell. And also when it talks about Jesus, they said Jesus and hell are things that kids should not be subject to. They say, because there might be some kids in school that don't believe in Jesus. So then when they were, and again, like the whole gospels are about Jesus. They didn't say the gospels, they said Revelation. They said, if they read about Jesus in Revelation or about hell, they might be terrified of hell. This is what the Supreme Court said is the reason we can't have the Bible in schools anymore. So, so that we saw religion, morality, and knowledge being removed. Well, what about thinking skills? We saw this in the early 1900s when progressives took over. As progressives took over in early education, and, and I have some documents up here that actually can highlight this, pretty interesting stuff. But as they took over in education, of course, we know some names like Ingersoll, Parker, Ward, uh, Kilpatrick, most famous probably being John Dewey. But as they took over, a couple of significant things they did. They said, we're going to change our pedagogy. There's a reason for this. Uh, when Rockefeller, uh, early 1900s, he starts the Rockefeller Foundation. They started an educational foundation. And Rockefeller, this was part of the second industrial revolution. And, and right, this is when you have assembly lines, like the Model T, all the stuff's going on. But the Rockefeller Foundation came out and explained, this is from Rockefeller, that we want to produce better workers for our factories, not better thinkers. Right? Because if, if you're an assembly line and someone's like, hey, I think we, no, no, don't, don't tell me what you think. Just screw that on the end of this. Right? Because that's all you cared about. They wanted to produce people that would take orders in factories. And so what they did is they changed the pedagogy of education. And, and, and this is very well documented, by the way. They changed the pedagogy from thinking to learning. That we want you to be able to take what we're telling you and repeat what we tell you. Do what you're told. This, this was the idea behind it. And so where the student used to be the most important, well, now it's not really the student, it's a teacher. And how do we mean this? Because the teacher's the one that says, hey, everybody, pay attention. Write this down. It's going to be on your test. Well, what, what are we writing down? For the very first time in American history, we introduced things like fill in the blank and true false and multiple choice. Why? Because this has nothing to do with your thinking abilities. It has to do with how well can you regurgitate what you were told. Right? The teacher said this, true or false. The teacher told you is which one of these options? Pick the one the teacher told you. This is what happened in education. And because of it, what has it produced? Well, certainly we don't have students that are thinkers anymore, right? What it's produced is we have the most gullible generation that society has ever seen. And right in this, like the indoctrination we've seen, I know I, I cannot have been the only one that was boggled by the fact that when COVID happens and we're told, hey, y'all don't need masks, only medical professionals do because masks, they won't, they won't help you. And then two weeks later, everybody put on a mask right? And, and probably one's not good. Like 
I mean, really, do you remember like how dumb this was? Anybody who could think, and, and as someone who like, I, I think a little bit, but I thought enough that I knew when I put on, and I live in the country, when I put on this mask and I can still smell the cows in the fields, I don't know what you think this mask is going to do, but it's probably not as effective as you think it is. If I'm still smelling, right, the, the cow poo all over, that this is crazy. We were told, hey, if you get the vaccine, which is totally safe, even though there's been no long-term studies and effects, totally safe. If you get the vaccine, you can't get COVID, right? Two weeks later. I mean, okay, you can get COVID, but you won't die, right? A month later. Okay, well, you might die, but you're less likely to. And now what the studies show, right? The highest death rates from COVID, not just those who had, right, the pre-comorbidities, but actually those who got the shots, right? Like, it's crazy. And yet, we still live in a society where Biden was like, hey, get ready, right? Fauci was like, get ready. This winter, there's going to be a second round. And of course, the American people are now like, we're never doing that again. That's stupid, right? We're, we're not going that direction. And yet, there are still people. We see them. They're by themselves in their car wearing a mask. What are you doing right now? On some level, here's the deal. We should have some compassion. Like, how sad is their life, right? They're walking in how much fear. Like, this is really sad. It's because they're from an indoctrination camp that they were told, you do whatever you're told. And right there, like even the notion of cancel the other side, this, this is where that comes from. Let me give you a last thought with this. This notion of high expectations, certainly the, the standards of expectation today have changed, but let me show you what's happened in schools. We used to be number one in the world in literacy. We dropped a couple decades ago, all the way down to number 65 of the nations in literacy. We currently uh, reside in the 20s and 30s, depending on what the given year is. If you back up World War II era, we were number one in the world. When the progressives got full hold of education, we plummeted downhill. We've become dumber and dumber and dumber in succeeding generations and uh, different decades. Well, let me give you another example of how bad this is. The Department of Education identified that currently we graduate about 19% of graduating seniors who are functionally illiterate, cannot read or write. 19% of kids, this is Department of Education identified this. First came out, the stats came out first under President Obama, confirmed under Trump, and confirmed again under Biden. We have a failing system. So when people say high expectations, compared to what? Because we now have kids that are 18 that can't read and write. This is not going well. This is a failure of a system. When it looks at international testing, it, it used to be, and this is still the way it is, but it used to be we were number one in the world in, in every category. Well, still, in elementary we still are above average compared to the rest of the world. But in junior high, our students perform average. And in high school, our students perform below average. This is called the American School Board Journal. They did a study over this. And when they released their report, part of what they said in their report was the longer U.S. students stay in school, the less they seem to know. They called it a phenomenon known as negative learning. Okay? Now, again, this is a problem for lots and lots and lots of reasons. But this is where if you look at the foundation... Where do we start with? Religion, morality, knowledge. You give kids the right moral foundation, teach them right and wrong. You challenge them to use the brain God gave them, right? And every student is different, right? They have different gifts, talents, and abilities because God made us all different. God made us on purpose for a reason. God made us to solve problems that needed to be solved. And we're not all here to solve the same problems, right? Some people are engineers. Some people are doctors. Some people are counselors. God made us different. So instead of saying, let's make everybody the same, how about we say, hey, let's use our brains, Right? Let's, let's learn to use the brain God gave you and how does God want to use you? And then let's have high expectations for what God might do with you and through you and how God might use you to change the world. But notice the foundation it starts with. The reason this matters 
as we look at education, I'm going to point out two verses as we finish. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He said he's truth. We have never seen truth more under attack in culture or education than right now. Why does it matter? Because if kids don't know truth, right, they will have no foundation to stand on. Jesus talked about there's two foundations, the rock or the sand, right? But, but notice, I would say even more significantly, why does truth matter? Jesus told the disciples, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have a rising generation that is the most depressed, the most suicidal. I mean, we heard the stats from George Barna, like all these issues, right? Because when you don't tell kids the truth, when you remove the truth and hide the truth from them, they're not able to have the freedom that God wants them to have. They don't have the vision, right? They, they, they don't have the, the, the hope and the, the really kind of opportunistic ideas of what's in front of them. I want to challenge and encourage you. As you look at education, this is one of the reasons that we actually support uh, a robust choice program because we recognize the brokenness of a system. And if there's an opportunity for kids to find truth somewhere, we want kids to find truth somewhere. There's a reason that homeschooling is the fastest growing movement in America, right? Now, I'm not trying to knock any state. I'm not trying to knock anybody's doing good things. I know I have, I have family member that are involved in the public education system. There are really, really good people there, but don't misunderstand. As we are saying there are really, really good people in that system, understand that's a little bit like arguing the band on the Titanic was really good. That ship still ain't going the right direction, right? That, that ship is still not working. I am not saying this because I'm trying to cancel any kind of educational thing in your state. I want you to be aware of what the problems are. And as you try to solve the problems in education in your state, know what we're dealing with, right? Know, know that the pedagogy has changed. Know what it used to be. Know where we are now so that we have a clearer vision of what we can do to fix it. All right, folks, out of time for today. Thanks so much for listening. That was Tim Barton speaking at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Normally, it's Tim, David, and myself. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, and we're usually uh, live with you talking about whatever the hot topics of the day are. But we've got these, these great presentations from the Pro-Family Legislators Conference that we just want to make sure that you are educated and equipped and inspired by them as well. So we're going to bring several more of them to you here at the end of the year and then maybe a little bit after the first of the year. And give you the chance to have that uh, that what what I believe is is really the the answers to turning the culture around. I mean, we if we get back to biblical and civic truth, then we can restore this nation. And uh, that's all we talk about at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. What are those biblical applications in every area, every issue? And we're going to bring them to you here on the Wall Builder Show. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Wall Builder Show. 